Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. This is the Daily Blast from the New Republic, produced and presented by the DSR Network. I'm your host, Greg Sargent. Right now, a confluence of events in our politics is forcing Fox News and other right-wing media into contortions that are as bad as anything we've seen from them in recent memory. The Justice Department just charged an informant with fabricating a story about President Biden and his son Hunter that right-wing media had hyped for months. Republicans just killed a border security bill that they themselves had demanded, all because Donald Trump told them to. And now Ron DeSantis is blaming right-wing media for essentially protecting Trump's candidacy, making DeSantis's effort to gain traction against him with the Republican base all but impossible. Here to unravel all these tangled threads is Matt Gertz, a senior fellow at Media Matters, who doesn't just track right-wing media, he also writes about its various trends, stock devices, and bizarre foibles very astutely. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. So let's start with Alexander Smirnoff, the informant. His claims that Joe and Hunter Biden had sought multi-million dollar bribes from a Ukrainian energy company where Hunter worked were central to the GOP case for impeaching the president. Matt, can you describe how Fox and right-wing media previously treated the informant and his assertions? Sure. I mean, they basically treated them as gospel. Um, There's this shtick that you see happen uh, between the GOP Congress uh, and its investigators and the right-wing media where they will spend a lot of time puffing up a story that they'll say, there's this document that we know exists that has these damning revelations in it, or a whistleblower is about to come forward with damning revelations. And it's all going to prove just how corrupt Joe Biden and the Democrats are. Uh, And they spend a lot of time talking about it on Fox, puffing it up. uh, And then eventually the document is released or the whistleblower comes forward 
Uh, and it becomes very obvious to anyone who's paying attention that it's not actually uh, the bombshell that they had claimed it would be. Um, and they kind of move on to the next one. Uh, that That's basically what we saw here. Just a lot of attention, both before uh, the uh, document was released uh, from this informant and, and then after the fact, just kind of spinning it up uh, over and over again to their audience. Yeah, I mean, this seems to be a particularly glaring case of the dynamic you're talking about. Smirnoff was indicted and that blew up the narrative that right-wing media had run with for months. He was indicted for fabricating the narrative that they ran with. And, and according to Media Matters calculations that you wrote about, Fox News offered, what, only 31 minutes of coverage of the indictment from Thursday to Monday? Is that real? That's right, yeah. And this is after, I mean, Sean Hannity, just Sean Hannity, uh, devoted 85 unique segments last year to talking just about this guy's claims. Just Sean Hannity. I mean, this was all over uh, right-wing media, all over Fox's airwaves. And then when uh, news broke that it was all BS, they buried it. Um, yeah, I, I think they're basically pretty desperate to move past it at this point because this was something that they convinced their audience was a, a really major piece of uh, what they claimed was the case that was going to get Joe Biden impeached. Uh, Jim Jordan, uh, the House Judiciary Chair, who's one of the people running that investigation, claimed it was the heart of the case. It, this was the evidence that was supposed to prove that Joe Biden is corrupt. And now uh, the uh, DOJ is coming forward and saying, actually, uh, the guy made the whole thing up. Uh, it's really quite devastating to their case. Yeah, I noticed that there was there a few of these figures actually, I, I forget who, maybe you remember, but a few of these figures actually managed to turn that into um, more proof of deep state corruption against Biden, right? I think the right, I mean, I think the argument was, okay, well, so this, this informant had to be targeted by the deep state because he was really about to bring the whole Biden crime family crashing down. It's it puts one in mind of the parable of the universe being uh, turtles all the way down, right? <laughs> it's just like one big, If as soon as one big lie gets blown up, there's a, just another big lie lying beneath it or another conspiracy theory lying beneath it that, that can explain why the first big lie blew up. Well, what, what is very convenient for them is that they have built this overarching conspiracy theory, this idea that federal law enforcement agencies are actually left-wing operatives and they're all go out to get Donald Trump and the Republicans, even the people who are Republicans, even the people who were appointed by Donald Trump. They're all in on this conspiracy. And that's why Democrats don't get charged with crimes. And that's why Republicans do get charged with crimes. Uh, people like Paul Manafort, uh, people like Donald Trump. It's not because they've done anything wrong. It's because of this deep state conspiracy theory. And so some people uh, on Fox have uh, basically said, yes, this is more evidence supporting that. Uh, Jesse Waters uh, said that, you know, everyone who blows the whistle on the Biden syndicators connected to it has been arrested. Uh, he was too credible, uh, the uh, the informant was, and so they had to get rid of him. Um, you know, I, I think the underlying issue here is they've built a series of conspiracy theories. They start with the conclusion and then backfill their explanation for why it's true. And so... Uh, it turns out that when you do that, the information you get largely comes from liars and con men.
Yeah, I mean, the omission is, is, I think, very striking in this case, because by any reasonable measure, this is huge news, the indictment of the informant, and, and they just minimized it. And I think one thing we don't talk about enough is how Fox and other right-wing media mislead through sheer omission. It's one thing to make stuff up or engage in dramatic reversals. It's another to simply not bring audiences information that might challenge storylines that those outlets are pushing. I mean, you've written about that dynamic before. Like, what are some good examples of that? Other examples? I'm actually, I'm writing on one now, which is uh, this ruling from the Alabama Supreme Court, uh, which has thrown the possibility of getting uh, IVF treatments in that state into jeopardy. Uh, Fox has basically totally ignored that. They understand that uh, being against IVF is a very bad look for the Republican Party. They know that it's incredibly damaging for them politically. And so the, they're not cheering on uh, like some anti-abortion groups are uh, this ruling. They're pretending it doesn't exist. Um, they're very canny uh, in, in many ways uh, about hiding uh, some of their biggest weaknesses. What is your sense of how these decisions are made institutionally? It's not as if a memo goes out that says, okay, we need to not talk about this topic. It, that doesn't go out to all the Fox News personalities, right? Well, it doesn't anymore uh, because some of those some of those memos got leaked uh, to us. Some of those memos got leaked to other people. Uh, back in uh, you know in the the, la- the previous decade, back in the, the uh, 2000s, uh, and so they they've stopped circulating things like that on paper. I mean, back when Roger Ailes was running Fox News, it was much more of a top-down apparatus um, where I think decisions like that were centrally made. Uh, that that's much less the case uh, now. There isn't really that uh, sort of central guiding force, and so. Really, you just see people kind of going through the motions. Like there's a broad understanding that it's not a good look uh, to do certain things. And so they just avoid those topics. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting how the texts uh, that emerged as part of the the Dominion lawsuit really kind of showed a a form of collective decision making happening, right? But not quite a top-down thing like that. I guess the major personalities are almost top figures, right? I mean, how do these internal dynamics actually work by, in your judgment? I mean, I, I think that there's remarkably little oversight of the uh, most prominent figures at this point. I mean, you had R- Rupert Murdoch uh, taking over after Roger Ailes uh, was first fired and then passed away. Um, and, you know, he obviously had a, a strong hand in the game. But a- at this point, like if you're Sean Hannity, there's no one you really need to answer to. There's no one who's going to push back on you in any way. Uh, and so you can basically operate your show as an extension of the Republican Party, and, and no one's going to really uh, give you any guff about that. Yeah, I mean, let's move on to the border mess because it's highly instructive too. And and the, the, the big picture here is that whenever an election approaches, right-wing media tends to go to extraordinary lengths to hype whatever migrant caravan is making its way toward the border at that moment. This is like a stock joke on on social media, right? What what, what kind of patterns have you docu- documented along these lines with that type of coverage? You know, we first traced this back uh, in 2014, actually, 
uh, where the big story going into uh, the 2014 midterm elections was uh, Ebola and the outbreak of Ebola that was going to kill us all and how dangerous it was and how Barack Obama wasn't you know, shutting down the borders and preventing us from being killed by Ebola. And of course, like that didn't happen. Uh, but there was a lot of chatter first on right wing outlets and then on mainstream ones like CNN and, and MSNBC and, and the major broadcast networks. And, you know, we found that once uh, once Election Day passed, Republicans and right wing media started talking about it. And thus the sort of impetus for the mainstream press to cover it fell away. Um, and, you know, that's sort of the uh, the pattern that we tend to see in these cases. It's uh, a, a really, uh, it's a GOP and right-wing media-led narrative that eventually kind of pulls uh, the mainstream press in. So in 2016, it was Hillary Clinton's emails. In 2018, it was the caravan. Uh, in 2020, they tried to make, make it the uh, Hunter Biden laptop, but that didn't really catch on. 2022, they had a big push around crime. Uh, and now uh, immigrate, well, we'll see what it ends up being. It could be immigration. It could be Biden's age. Uh, there are any number of stories and they haven't really focused on one central one yet. It's interesting that you bring up the Ebola because I, I think the 2014 midterms probably have convinced a lot of Republicans and right-wing media figures that this type of playbook can work. And then of course, in, in 2018, uh, Democrats won the midterms because at that point it was a Republican in the White House. But now the, the pattern has been kind of broken in 2022. You did have a Democrat in the, in the, in the White House and still do, obviously. And I think right wing media tried a lot of these tropes, especially on immigration. And yet it didn't work this time. I, I don't know if they'll take a lesson from that or whether we should or not. What do you think? I mean, I, I think that it is a sign that the mainstream press has gotten somewhat better uh, at not taking the bait uh, when the right, uh, you know, goes for it uh, on these sorts of uh, issues. Um, whether that'll stick for another cycle, I don't know. I mean, obviously, one other aspect of the 2022 elections um, was that a lot of the candidates, particularly on the Senate, were the type of uh, candidates that you get when uh, far-right uh, media figures are picking uh, who, who your nominees are going to be. And so uh, those were weaker candidates because they, in part because they were focused on the kind of uh, extremist uh, rhetoric uh, that people come to see on Fox News and, and other right-wing outlets. Um now, whether that will stick through another cycle, I, I don't know. Uh, certainly, uh, we're going to be uh, spending a lot of time debunking false claims uh, that are coming from the right and trying to uh, ensure that uh, the mainstream press doesn't fall for them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's too soon to tell. Yeah, I mean, with the immigration thing, there there was a level of clarity here that that I think is rare, right? Trump ordered Republicans to kill the border security deal negotiated in the Senate, um, explicitly declaring that he wanted the bill killed because he wanted to use its failure against Biden. How did right wing media cover the deal before that happened? Were they gearing up to bash Democrats for not supporting it? And then were they required to flip around and 
then all of a sudden defend the decision to kill the deal? How how did they how did they manage this one? You know, they were kind of scattered. I, I think they have trouble when they're dealing with any actual policy at this point, uh, just because their typical modus operandi is so far removed from actually dealing with any problems uh, that we've just sort of seen less consensus around any sort of uh, particular policy issue like that. Once you get to the actual what to do about it stage, um, obviously, once uh, Donald Trump uh, was against it, everyone was against it um, because anything that Donald Trump says goes you know, I, I will say one thing that I found interesting about that entire debacle is back during the Obama administration, since the Obama administration, I think we've had an understanding that part of the Republican playbook is just sabotage. They don't want a Democratic president to be able to accomplish anything because it makes it harder uh, for them to get elected. But they don't tend to say that out loud. Um, you know, there was I, I remember a, a lot of attention to a secret meeting, I, I remember this from uh, Inauguration Day 2009, when Newt Gingrich and a bunch of other Republican heavy hitters kind of made the decision that they weren't going to um, give any ground to uh, Barack Obama on a stimulus package, even though the economy was like totally falling apart at the time. Uh, they were just going to sort of make it all uh, Obama's problem. They were not going to offer any solutions or any help at all. Um, but that was like at a secret meeting, uh, and there was still some pretense uh, through all of that, that like you could maybe if you tried really hard, you could convince them of things. But there is no pretense anymore. That That's what this, uh, what's clear on this border bill is they're just openly saying, yeah, we, we are going to sabotage uh, border security because we think it will help uh, our candidate get elected president. That's just, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, and that, that is, I think, a, a fairly remarkable turn. Yeah, and, and the immigration stuff actually points to a deeply serious thing here at work here, too, I think. The, the buffoonery of some of this makes it easy to lose sight of the fact that in many ways, the far-right information space is really growing and doing very well for itself, right? Elon Musk has made Twitter into a protected space for far-right, red-pilled ideologies. He's personally boosting... Uh, all sorts of far-right figures, and even elevating white genocide theory. Um, and, you know, it's pretty stark, right? White genocide theory is the most extreme version of great replacement theory for listeners. It posits an elite plot to eradicate the white race by engineering mass migration and suppressing native birth rates with unchecked wokeness, pro-LGBTQ advocacy, and so forth. And yet this sort of space is flourishing. As someone who closely follows this, how well is the far right info world faring right now? Yeah, I, I think that's very concerning uh, what you're talking about now. I mean, I, I remember when we started talking about Tucker Carlson as a figure who was beloved of white nationalists. This was like back in 2017. And that was kind of a... a, a uh, an unexpected thing to be able to say, right? That the the guy that you remember as the yeah. bow tied jerk uh, uh, that John Stewart was shutting down on on Crossfire was suddenly, you know, someone that uh, white nationalists and neo Nazis were really excited about. But we really saw over the course of the Trump administration and the years since, uh, Carlson and others at Fox News 
create uh, a a welcome home for that side of that sort of rhetoric, so that it's really completely unremarkable now to hear language about uh, migrants uh, invading the country, to hear language about uh, white replacement, white genocide, stuff that you you know previously would have to go to. Uh, you know, the darkest fringes of the internet uh, to find, uh, we're getting blasted out now to millions of people on uh, America's most watched cable news network. And so that's that's a really serious situation. The broader right in media space, I think you're correct. There, there is uh, a lot of growth there and it uh, happens in a way that ends up pulling uh, even the Fox News of the world further to the right. What you see is uh, people uh, in the sort of right-wing influencer space, people like Charlie Kirk uh, and, and that that sort of ilk, Jack Posobiec, uh, staking out really, really extreme positions uh, that go far beyond what you'd see even on Fox. And by doing so, they end up pulling the network in their direction because everyone's competing for the same group of uh, viewers. Um, and, and so it really eliminates uh, any interest Fox might have in, in not becoming more extreme. It's good business for them to do so. They risk losing their audience if they don't. Well, I'm glad you brought up Carlson because I want to ask you about him. His level of propaganda about January 6th which strayed into something even more blatant than usual, ended up getting him bounced from Fox News. But now Musk is elevating Carlson's interviews with the world's autocrats, most recently Russia's Vladimir Putin. Are we seeing the development here of a really flourishing global information space for the far right? I mean, in a way, Carlson is laundering all these autocrats for a global right-wing audience, isn't he? It seems kind of grim when it comes to what's happening with information flows right now. It is. Uh, and Carlson has been pursuing this path uh, for quite some time. Viktor Orban, uh, you know, dictators across Eastern Europe, South America. I mean, he is more invested, I think, than anyone else in the U.S. right uh, in trying to build those bridges uh, to foreign autocrats. Uh, and basically, the, the, the playbook here is what they share, Tucker Carlson and, and these autocrats, is they're not, they're, they're illiberal. They are not, you know, interested in these sort of basic ideas of uh, democracy. Um, they, they just, they are either hostile to it or, or just don't prioritize it at all. Uh, they hate LGBTQ people, um, and they're viciously against uh, any sort of immigration, and, and that and pluralism too. Pluralism, pluralism too. yes, of course. Um, you know, Tucker Carlson is is very much a blood and soil nationalist. He's very explicit about that. That America is not an idea; it is uh, the people who live here and the place. Uh, he's been, he said that very explicitly, uh, and that really you know cuts against uh, the the history and, and the meaning of this country in a very visceral way. Um, but, you know, he is molding a generation of Republican minds. Um, he has been remarkably effective in breaking what had at one point been a uh, broad U.S. consensus on uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine uh, and ensuring that the Republican Party now is unwilling to provide 
uh, at this point, additional military aid to that country. I mean, that that's really a remarkable show of influence and force. And even as he, you know, at this point, his his trip to Russia involved a lot of like obviously ridiculous behavior. Um, you know, his his uh, claims about uh, Russian supermarkets and so on, but. I mean, what he's trying to do is tell Americans that Vladimir Putin's system is better than ours. Uh, and that is uh, a, a remarkable uh, change from what had once been the par- party of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I, I want to bear down on the pattern that, that's developing with Tucker, too. He's he, he He's really kind of presenting a soft-pedaled picture of the world's uh, autocratic nationalists to a global audience, right? I mean, there's that 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 actually... So let's talk about what, what you mentioned earlier in this context. The, the mainstream media tends to, to kind of feel itself pulled almost gravitationally toward the right-wing media, right? The sheer noise the right-wing generates persuades the MSM to cover certain things or shade its treatment of certain topics in various ways. And sometimes you see professional reporters kind of seeming wise to that. But now we're seeing a level of, I think, global propaganda that's really something new. And I don't really get a strong sense that professional journalists are aware of that dynamic at all. Do you? I think the Tucker Carlson media tour in Russia was a a rare glimpse uh, for uh, the mainstream press. I think that journalists in general, uh, while they can be gravitationally pulled towards the major focuses of the right, they don't tend to be aware of the day-to-day ins and outs of uh, what those figures are up to. And so... Tucker Carlson's series of interviews aired on X with various uh, global autocrats, while they made a lot of news in those countries, uh, did not get a lot of play in the United States until the Putin one, just because that was so blatant and uh, so uh, disturbing, I think. Um, so, I mean, now they've, ha- they've, they've seen, I think, to some extent what is going on now. Um, it's it's a pretty grim picture, um, but you know Tucker Carlson sure. is someone who has the ear of Donald Trump, who you know has in the past uh, gotten him to change his positions on potential military strikes while he was president of the United States, um, and someone like that, um, you know, having the ear of, of Donald Trump if he returns to office and is sort of serving as, I, I guess, a back channel for the world's autocrats uh, is, is a pretty disturbing thought, I think. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that that uh, mainstream journalists would take real care to avoid being pulled in by that vortex, especially now, right, given this big confluence? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be the hope. I, I, think, I think the uh, coverage of uh, Biden's potential impeachment has has actually been quite good from the mainstream press to some extent. I mean, I think they have just because James Comer is has been so ridiculous and uh, so unable to explain what uh, any of the stuff he's investigating is supposed to mean 
uh, to anyone who isn't like familiar with the deep Sean Hannity lore. Um, I, I think that has uh, kept the press from uh, falling into too many of those traps in that particular case. So that, that I think has been relatively heartening to see. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's finish up with Ron DeSantis. He went on a conference call with supporters and bashed right-wing media. He said this, quote, their business model just doesn't work if they offer any criticism of Trump. DeSantis added, quote, I think he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and the conservative media wouldn't even report on it. I mean, as gratifying as it is to see DeSantis fail, he's actually got a point here, doesn't he? I mean, the, the big context here is that he used Fox News to create his national profile. He, he gave Fox the exclusive on the signing of voter suppression legislation. He leaked video to Fox of migrants being flown to liberal strongholds and so forth. What exactly went wrong with him? Uh, and the right-wing media. What happened? Well, I think he thought that uh, the right-wing media was going to do his dirty work and somehow take Trump down for him. And if he actually thought that, that's just a remarkable misunderstanding of uh, the people that he was dealing with. I mean, as you say, uh, no one has benefited more from uh, right-wing media support than Ron DeSantis. He really owes his entire rise to Fox News. Um in a very real way, like during his uh, first primary campaign for for governor, uh, he ran a, a Fox News centric campaign rather than making a lot of appearances in the state or running a lot of ads. He just went on Fox all the time, uh, mainly to talk about uh, how Robert Mueller's investigation into Donald Trump was unfair. Uh, and so voters in the state would see him defending Donald Trump. Uh, and that won them over for him, and it won Donald Trump over too. You know, he was watching Fox News religiously at the time, and so ended up endorsing Bob DeSantis. And that uh, so did Sean Hannity, so did Mark Levin, various other right wing media figures. That brought him uh, to the state house. Um, you know, from there uh, he became a, a national political figure because Fox News and others on the right really liked his COVID policies. Uh, and that gave them a sort of new hero uh, in 2021, 2022, when Donald Trump uh, was uh, sort of somewhat less uh, publicly present. Um, but yeah, they were always going to come back to Donald Trump if he... Uh, was running for president again. And so that's exactly what happened. Um, Ron DeSantis is, is completely right uh, in his analysis that uh, the right-wing media will not challenge Donald Trump because he owns their audiences and they, he can basically destroy them. Um, but uh, what follows from that is Ron DeSantis would have to have criticized Donald Trump a lot during his... Uh, and somehow rip away that base from the former president. And that didn't really happen. Now, I'll notice a, 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 a funny aspect of this is that uh, Ron DeSantis has been making these claims, blaming the right-wing media um, since the end of his campaign, since January. Uh, but he does keep going on Fox News. And when he's on Fox News, he doesn't do that. He was literally on Sean Hannity's show last night. Uh, he did not say, Sean Hannity, wow, it's weird that you didn't spend any time attacking Donald Trump during my campaign. No, he spent the entire time talking about, uh, you know, his idea to have uh, term limits for members of Congress 
uh, and talking about how Joe Biden's dog bites people. Like that, that's what he was there to do. So, I mean, it's not exactly like he's out there speaking truth to power. At least when Nikki Haley complained about Fox News, she did it during a Fox and Friends interview. Yeah, it's pretty funny, right? By validating that as the main channel of information to the right wing base, they've essentially made themselves entirely dependent on it. Yeah, the last and the last several times we've seen a Republican primary, it always ends with the losing candidates on their way out the door saying, ah, Fox News had it in for me. I mean, we saw this with Ted Cruz. We saw this with Rick Santorum. They're right. I mean, the network is unbelievably powerful uh, within their party, and that's very bad. It sure is. Well, on that note, let's call it a day. Uh, Matt Gertz, thanks so much for your insights. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to The Daily Blast with me, your host, Greg Sargent. The Daily Blast is a New Republic podcast and is produced by Riley Fessler and the DSR Network. 